Episode 27 At the far end of the bar, Katie thought she recognized Walt, Kyle's former sergeant, grown reedy and old. But if he recognized her, he did not want her to know it. He lighted a cigarette with the dying ember of the last one. Can I have one? Katie asked, clambering onto a bar stool. The man slid the pack over to her. And a light? The man dug a blue plastic lighter out of his jeans pocket and flicked it. Katie stuck the cigarette in her mouth and leaned in. Tonight she would become a smoker, she decided. This was the first step in getting her soul back. The smoke raked her throat. She asked the man the world's stupidest question. Is Hunter here? Over there. Deep in a corner, a shadow moved. A massive, mottled bicep flashed. Katie remembered sneaking a look at him through the front window years ago on one of those strange midnight trips with her mother to the Lynx parking lot. In the dim light, he had looked green and scaly like an alligator. Even back then, the thrill of that vision had worried her. He stopped wiping down the table. As he lifted his head, a handlebar mustache came into view. A thin black ponytail hung to the middle of his back. This was the kind of man Jackie would never understand, Katie thought. He was the opposite of Harry Ricker, the man himself, who Jackie was head over heels in love with, whereas Hunter could even be some kind of Indian. Hunter nodded to her. I'm Katie, Katie said. Kyle's daughter. He knew. You know he quit drinking, right? That's why he doesn't come here anymore, Katie said quickly. She didn't mention that he'd started up again. Apparently that explanation amused Hunter, or pleased him, because he smiled. His teeth were heavy and ragged, like he'd been chewing on metal objects. Ow, Katie said. Her cigarette had just burned down to her fingers. She dropped it and stamped it out with her motorcycle boot. Hunter pulled out a chair for her and sat down at the table facing her. He removed a lighter from his pocket and lighted the candle on the table. Inside the dirty red glass, the flame jumped and lunged. Words on Hunter's forearms came into focus. Riverman, Barker, J.D. Some letters looked thick and blurry, like they'd been gone over several times. Katie wrapped her jacket tighter. She had a small notebook in the pocket, which she used for writing down lyrics when they came to her suddenly. She'd take it out once she got him talking, she decided, casual-like. "'Why are you here?' Hunter said. He was direct. That was good. Much different from certain other people in Katie's life. "'Did my dad tell you I'm a musician?' "'He said you liked punk.' Katie wondered what else her dad had told Hunter over the years. He probably knew a lot about her, but all warped through her dad's perception. He thought she was still a little girl. "'I'm in a band, and we're writing some new songs,' she explained. It was hard to tell if Hunter had heard what she just said. He seemed far more interested in simply looking at Katie. But he didn't stare at her, moronically, like Stick. He took her in, collected her. She sensed the tingle of an approaching lightning storm. "'So anyway,' she said, "'you've had some interesting experiences.' She reached for the notebook, thinking she'd just lay it on the table to get him used to it. "'We want to sing about real stuff. The world is so fake, you know.' I'm not material, hun. Oh, no, I didn't mean... On Hunter's left hand, in the V between the thumb and forefinger, he had tattooed M.L. A lover, Katie thought. He dug at the spot with his thumbnail. Katie reached across the table and touched his wrist. But I thought, she said, I mean, you have all those tattoos. Why have them if you don't want to be asked about them? Hunter's eyes were gray. Katie had never heard of a person with gray eyes. Only wolves. He took a pack of cigarettes out of his pocket and offered one to Katie. She took it and lighted it in the candle flame. You just killed a sailor, Hunter said. I'm sorry, Katie said. You're very pretty, Hunter said. Hunter took her hand as she tried to bring it to her mouth to smoke. The cigarette fell on the table. He held her hand in his, palm up, like an embryo. 
"'You are welcome here,' he said, "'but I have no stories for you.' She did not sleep. Her bedroom spun as if she were drunk. She threw herself from one side of the bed to the other, trying to catch up with her rushing thoughts, or escape them. She staggered like a zombie through school the next morning. She did not respond to greetings. She forgot to hand out the beaded CED bracelets she had promised all the girls. The kids at their desks all looked soulless, like workers in a movie about the future. In the evening, she could not process the thank-you notes. The words on her computer screen morphed into tattoos. Life felt like a dream she had a week ago. At 10 p.m., her dad, as usual, lay on the couch, watching TV. Topper Moss sat on a rock, holding a large, empty net. It wasn't clear whether he was lying in wait, or if what he was waiting for had just eluded him. Topper and Kyle both looked miserable. "'I'm going to Sticks,' Katie said to her dad. He nodded, or maybe he didn't. Hunter's hand made its way across the table. Katie put her cigarette in the ashtray. She placed her hand on top of his. Her thumb lightly stroked M.L. She didn't dare look in his eyes. "'That feels good,' Hunter said. "'You don't hurt yourself, do you?' said Katie, slowly tracing the M and the L. "'With the tattoos?' At the bar, one of the regulars, Francine, came up behind a man named Chuck and slid her hands up under his shirt. Chuck spilled his beer. Francine let out a guffaw. "'Fuck, Francine,' said Chuck, mopping the beer off his pants. "'Your place or mine,' Francine said, running a finger around his collar. She had to be over forty, Katie thought, with long graying hair and flapping upper arms like slabs of uncooked chicken. Everything about her was loose, including her grin. The other six people at the bar, all men, laughed at her. Jackie would have called Francine a slut. It was a word she used to utter fairly often, like when they went to the mall and saw a girl with big boobs bouncing along in a tube top. Jackie would whisper it so Katie alone would hear. The word hissed like a spatula on a pan. At such moments, Katie felt Jackie setting a trap for her, trying to make her an ally in her war against the rest of the world. Katie had always made a point of never agreeing outright, although, in the case of Francine, she could see what her mom meant. She reminded herself never to become that desperate. "'My father's dying,' Katie said to Hunter. "'Is he sick?' Katie liked the sound of alarm in his voice, usually so low and calm. "'Not physically,' Katie said. Hunter nodded, his face relaxing as Katie savored her power to offer him this small relief. Then she reeled him back in. I mean, my dad's dying inside. M.L. Who was M.L.? The letters were small enough that Katie's thumb could hide and reveal them again in one stroke. At least he's not working for the man anymore, Katie went on. He never liked being a cop. He did it for my mom, but she didn't even care. Francine tried to climb onto Chuck's lap, wet spot and all. The regulars all kept laughing, egging her on. Chuck pushed her off, but weakly. It was clear she was going to get her way, if not tonight, then soon enough. Katie jerked her head toward the scene. Francine ever do that to my dad? she asked Hunter. He shook his head and pulled his hand away. Katie's chest tightened. She shouldn't have said that. She definitely should not have hoped, if only for a second, that it was true. Shame. That was what Hunter made her feel sometimes. But that was what she wanted to feel. Kyle examined his stubble in the bathroom mirror. The permanent five o'clock shadow was in style now, he thought. Made you look tough, like Don Johnson, who was so tough he could wear a pink jacket. But Kyle was not the type to pull it off. His beard had a peachy cast and made his features even more indistinct. Stubble or no stubble, he was fading. Nobody saw him anymore. His wife, Katie, Molly, they all looked right through him. Have you seen my purse? Oh, there it is, right behind you. At this rate, he'd disappear completely in a few months. He couldn't remember from the movies whether invisible men could walk through walls. 
That could be fun for a time. But if walls were permeable, why didn't the men fall through the floor? Maybe they did after a while. At the center of the earth writhed a huge knot of invisible men who'd fallen. They grasped and groaned and stepped on each other's faces, trying to climb back up. But if they slid through the floor, why not right out the other side of the planet? That made the most sense. At this moment, the millions drifted through outer space, floaters in God's eye. Kyle soaped his face and dragged the plastic razor down his cheek. He had to stop feeling sorry for himself. He was a man of leisure, as Jackie said. He had the type of life his father, for instance, would have given his right arm for. No more standing at a table like a robot, throwing cards at people you would rather see drop dead than win a dime. Kick back, watch an old war movie, have a margarita. Buy a boat. In Christmastown, Jackie had promised, Kyle would have a soundproof room all to himself. He could practice impressions to his heart's content. No one would ever hear him. Kyle finished shaving his face. Not too bad, he thought. He still had something like a jawline. He soaped the neglected thatch of hair on top of his head. The razor mowed it off. The scraping sounded like static electricity. Fully shaved, his head looked intentional. He no longer let hair grow on it randomly, a result of inattention as much as anything. He had policed his hair. He thought about waking Katie up to show her, but decided against it. By his calculations, she had only gone to bed three hours ago. Enrique's airbrush hissed in the driveway. 8 a.m. The kid was right on time as usual. He'd work all day through the barking July heat just to push his vision one step closer to reality. What a great kid. Kyle couldn't stand the thought of leaving him in a few months, but he had no choice. Enrique's parents weren't givers. Kyle hurried outside to show him his due. "'Looks awesome, Mr. M,' said Enrique through his mask. "'It's really you.' The air smelled of paint, which had become Kyle's favorite smell. "'I'm really going to miss you, E,' said Kyle. "'When we go to Christmas Town, I mean.' "'Me too.' "'Are you sure your family doesn't want to come? "'I bet they could get on a waiting list or something. "'I'll look into it if you want. "'I know the management,' he added with a wink. "'Enrique picked at a hangnail on his pinky. "'My parents don't want to live there,' he said. "'Are they worried about jobs?' Kyle said. "'There'll be lots of jobs in Christmastown, "'especially,' he was going to say, "'for unskilled workers, but stopped himself. "'It's not that,' Enrique said. "'They said—' "'I'm trying to figure out how to put it in English.' Kyle couldn't read Enrique's expression through the mask. What did they say, E? They said CED is a lie. Everything is a lie, Kyle said. When you get older, you decide to believe some of the lies anyway. Which lies do you believe? Kyle thought. The ones about family, he said.